of an Eminem fan, to be perfectly honest with you, but if you get one shot that you better take advantage of, I can confidently say I took that shot, along with my good friend and broadcast partner Paul Fixter yesterday, and we found ourselves in the same building as Mr. Marshall Mathers, who briefly appeared on the big screen. Didn't matter a whole heck of a lot to me and Fixie, I don't think. We were having far too good a time at Ford Field enjoying the Lions and Buccaneers game yesterday. And if you can hear just a wee bit of a rasp still deep in the back of my throat, it's because that stadium was so loud yesterday that even though Paul and I were side by each in our comfy chairs, we had to shout to hear one another. That's how loud the stadium was. What a tremendous opportunity to take in some National Football League playoff action. It is, dare I say, one of the greatest marketing machines slash industries on the planet, the National Football League, the machine that it is. We were told yesterday that one Detroit Lions game brings about $20 million of spin-off economic revenue into the city of Detroit. It was something else. We certainly had a good time. And with Eminem there, along with Jeff Daniels, Flava Flav showed up. He brought out the official game ball. At least I think it was Flava Flav. That's what his jersey said. Uh, I, I didn't see uh, Bob Seeger, who was reportedly there. I might have missed that and some of the other Detroit luminaries. But we got to take in some playoff football in the Motor City and watch the home team win. First time in history, in Detroit Lions history, that they had two playoff home games. And so we got to see the last of those for this season as the Lions now go on to the road. And who knows, who knows what happens there. Anyway, while we were there enjoying that, of course... The Toronto Maple Leafs played. And when the Toronto Maple Leafs play, you know that this tends to happen. And if he 
had the release of Austin Matthews. He probably scored the goal, and now they do. Never mind. It's Austin Matthews who does have that trick. And from a backhand right in front of the net, the Leafs jump out in front one to nothing. A little AM on AM in the AM, and the Toronto Maple Leafs actually pick up a victory. Victories are good. We like it when the Leafs win, right? The Leafs win. And Austin Matthews now at 38 goals on the season. Ain't nobody else even close to AM on AM in the AM, which is how we like to start our show the morning after a Leafs game the night before. It is nine minutes after nine on this Monday morning, the 22nd of January. Thank you very much for joining the show. As you know, the moment we begin every day, our phone lines open, so you have the opportunity to weigh in on whatever it is that happens to be on your mind. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. Play along. It's like the home edition of a game show and get involved in all of the fun and frivolity here on the program. All right, time for your Farwell Show 5 for this Monday morning. The Kitchener Rangers lost both of their games this weekend against the London Knights. And with those losses on the ice, the Rangers also lost their spot in first place in the OHL. This isn't hockey. This is not the beautiful game of hockey that, you know, we... There is a physical part of the game for sure, but this isn't physical. This is just stupid. Tell you what, Mike, this has become a bad word show. (laughs) That's our good buddy Paul Fixter during the game on Saturday afternoon in London. Paul is going to come in studio in about an hour's time, and we're going to look back a little further (laughs) on what it... I don't know what to call what happened on Saturday, but we'll talk more about it as the Rangers lost on Friday night at home 4-2. And then on Saturday in London, 10-3. to 3. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 this Monday morning. In case you missed it, God still hates Buffalo. Tyler Bass will try a 44-yard field goal to tie. The wind at his back. The snap is good. The ball put down. The kick is Ooh. up. And no good. Wide right. Wide right. The Bills kicker missed a field goal. Wide right. This is amazing. A first down run by the hard-charging Pacheco. The Chiefs have a first down at their 45, and the Bills cannot stop the clock with 1.30 to go. That's it. That's it. Wide right, the words that have come to haunt the Buffalo Bills since that first of four consecutive Super Bowl appearances. And the Kansas City Chiefs eliminate Buffalo yesterday, 27 to 24. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 today. Get ready for about 10 centimeters of snow tomorrow. Number four, the inquest into the death of an inmate at Kitchener's Grand Valley Institution for Women is set to begin today. Terry Baker died of self-inflicted injuries at the federal prison in Kitchener back in 2016. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 for this Monday morning. Immigration Minister Mark Miller announcing a two-year cap on international student admissions, which will see a 35% reduction in new study visas this year. It is 9-12. Curious what you think about this cap on international student admissions. We were talking about the number of those admissions on the show 
last week. It certainly would appear to be overdue, if you ask me. We allowed things to get a little bit out of hand. So a two-year cap should allow us to at least get a handle on things and maybe, just maybe, put some new policies in place. Would love to hear your thoughts on the two-year cap on international student admissions as we get your Mike Farwell show underway for this Monday morning. You're listening to City News 570. Well, our federal immigration minister has announced a two-year cap on international student admissions. He's hoping this cap will give the federal and provincial governments time to curb a system that Mark Miller says is taking advantage of high international student tuition while providing, in some cases, a poor education. You think? The cap is going to mean a 35% overall reduction in new study visas this year. Though some provinces, including Ontario, will see a reduction of 50% or more. Also, Mark Miller is saying the government is going to prevent students in schools that follow a private public model from accessing postgraduate work permits as of September the 1st. So, I mean, two years, is that going to be enough time to get this system under control? There's no question that the system has run a little bit amok. 519-570-2545, star 570-1800-570-5715. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I just, I mean, is two years long enough? Not sure, but at least it's a start. Yeah. Uh, having children that one is in college and a couple more on the way in the next couple of years, it's not even so much the housing, it's the availability of spaces, right? So I'm all for helping everyone around the world when we can, but it's harder for all of our kids who live here to have even a spot. You mean a spot in one of those classes, in one of those courses? Yeah, Yeah. because a lot of our kids aren't getting in. Like, you know, a friend of ours had an average of 95, couldn't get in, because there's so much the influx of people coming over, right? And as I said, I'm happy to help everybody around the world when we can, but we also got to think of the people, the kids that are here then they don't get in with a 95 average. That's just insane. <laughs> how How is your oldest doing at college right now? She's doing well, and she's enjoying it, and she's lucky enough to get in and got, a, got into a spot and everything. But, I mean, my son and my other daughter, you know, if their grades aren't up like that, they might not have that spot. So I'm hoping that something like this will help them. I hope so, too. Give them more space. <laughs> so I'm happy they're finally thinking... Finally trying to help the kids that are here a little bit more, that's all. And maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off your family, reduces a little bit of stress as those yeah. next kids get ready for post-secondary, right? Yeah, we hope. We so hope. Two years might not be enough, but hopefully they can reevaluate it in a year and see if it's, you know, hopefully. Hope. <laughs> Jennifer, thanks for calling in this morning. Appreciate it. Bye. Have a great day. This is really part of the story, right? The availability of spaces in a variety of programs and I've heard some flat-out horror stories in this regard, to be honest with you. So the housing is one thing, and I think we've all grown accustomed to those horror stories as well. And then, yeah, the availability of spaces in the programs because that international 
student tuition is so ding-dang attractive. And many of the schools will tell you necessary. And I want to really draw a distinction here, too, between a college like the one we have here in our community, Conestoga College, and these what you might call more private fly-by-night type colleges that are in strip malls that are handing out diplomas, sometimes for folks that aren't even doing the work in the schools. And it just becomes a diploma mill and that path to permanent residency, which is why when you hear from Immigration Minister Mark Miller that the government is also going to bar students in schools that follow a private public model from accessing postgraduate work permits. They're kind of wise to that part of the game as well. To Jennifer's point, is two years going to be long enough to get a handle on all of this? I don't know. But it is a starting point, and it's definitely an acknowledgement that there's a problem here that needs to be corrected. A two-year cap on international students. And here in Ontario, that will mean a reduction of 50% or more in new student visas every year. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I got an email this morning from Russell to Mike at 570news.com. I love M&Ms, especially the peanut ones. And I thought for a moment that Russell was kind of riffing on the $70,000 worth of pistachios that were stolen in Wilmot Township. That is a shellarious crime. Shell. You see, because pistachios, forget it, Farwell, if you have to explain it. It's not a very good joke in the first place. But I realized after the fact that Russell was, in fact, referring to the song that started the show today, which was Lose Yourself by Eminem, which is the song that plays in Ford Field, where I was fortunate enough to be in attendance with Paul Fixter for the Lions-Buccaneers game yesterday. Quick aside on that, though. The Eminem's candies, I'm with Russell on that. Long time, my whole life, I've lo- I've always preferred the M&M to the Smartie. Like, to me, the Smartie is just the poor man's version of the M&M, which is the far superior candy-coated chocolate. Simple as that. To the matter at hand, not for the first time has somebody in this community stolen, made off with, a large quantity of nuts I mean, it takes some balls to do something like that, doesn't it? No? I actually received this message from a colleague. He's he's a scout in the uh, Ontario Hockey League. I see him quite a bit. And he asked me, he sent me a message on the weekend asking me if I was behind the pistachio heist. Now, the thing about this is, like, I know and I have a perfect alibi to defend my innocence in this regard, because if I'm going to steal some nuts, I'm stealing cashews all day, every day, and probably twice on Sundays. I will cash in on my cashews, if you know what I'm saying. Who steals $70,000 worth of pistachios? And and maybe more to the point, what does $70,000 worth of pistachios even look like? How big is that shipping container and or tractor trailer. 
in case you were curious, and I'm sure you are, along with pistachios, there are another 10 different varieties of nuts, including hazelnuts, cashews, almonds, Marcona almonds, that is, macadamia nuts, peanuts, almonds, Brazil nuts, pine nuts, and pecans. And don't even start on me with the pecans. Okay, we don't have any Grey Poupon in the studio. It's not a schedule. We don't go to shul. It's a pecan, not a pecan. We are not so pretentious as to have to say pecan on this show. But there you go. Along with pistachios, 10 other varieties of nut. So far, we've had walnuts and then pistachios stolen in different heists in this region. We'll see if we can go for the full 11. Everybody keep an eye on their Brazil nuts, okay? Because the nut thief is out there. All right, we've got an update coming from the City News Center. And then let's get into those SEBA loan repayments that local businesses had to start making as of Friday. What does this mean to the local economy? How is it impacting local businesses? That conversation is coming up. But right now, we send you to the City News Center for this update from Christine Clark. Well, last Thursday, the deadline arrived for businesses to repay the forgivable portion of their loan or keep the forgivable portion and and repay the rest. Last Thursday, the 18th of January. Now, if there had been some refinancing applied for, uh, there may be some extensions into the spring of this year. But the bottom line is businesses were asked to repay those COVID support loans. And that will, of course, have a ripple effect across the economy. Christina Santini is the Director of National Affairs with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and joins us to talk about it this morning. Christina, good morning. Good morning, Mike. What should businesses know as of the date to repay that SIBA loan? What what should they know moving forward? Uh, So if they had applied for refinancing with their financial institution that they got the loan from, they have until March 28th to pay it back. So it's a teensy bit of reprieve as long as you demonstrated that you were trying to get the loan. Even if that institution ended up refusing you, you still have just a a couple more months almost to uh, scrape the money and, and try to pay it back and still keep the forgivable portion. But if that's not the case, if you weren't able to re, uh, seek refinancing with your financial institution, if you weren't able to pay off the balance, then as of January 19th, uh, it converted to the term loan uh, contract requirements, which means that they have until the end of 2026 to pay back the full amount of the loan. So that means they lose out on the forgivable portion forgivable portion. Um, another $20,000 gets added to the total amount they owe. So instead of owing, you know, they would have had 60000 minus 20000 so They would have only owed 40000 They now owe the full 60000 And they start paying interest on it. It's 5% interest, um, but it's huge to lose that 20000 that's for sure. So the key thing to know is that throughout the years, you know, until the end of 2026, they can just pay back the interest. Uh, the government doesn't require them to pay off the capital until the very end of 2026. That being said, it's a huge hit to suddenly be, I lost out on the forgivable portion because 
things weren't back to normal. The economic conditions were not what we were told they were going to be um, at the beginning of the pandemic when we took on this loan. So that's the reality that they're facing. They're facing an additional 20 grand or 10 grand, depending on which loan they got, uh, added to the total amount that they have to pay back that they did not think they would have to pay back. What is your sense, Christina, of businesses, small to medium-sized businesses' ability to pay back these loans in this economic climate? So uh, amongst our membership, 22% stated they were going to miss out on that deadline. And so extrapolated to all businesses that got the loan, that's about 200000 For them, a lot of them, what they tell us is there are revenues aren't back to where they were at least in the case of five out of 10 of them, and their profits aren't back at, at where they were, at least for six out of 10 of them. Um, why is that the case? Well, of course, costs have gone up from all ends. So they're eating up uh, even more of their, or losing out on more of their profits towards costs. So that's the reality that they're facing is it's become harder for them to pay off the debt because they're not back to where they were pre-pandemic. They're not out of the pandemic for them in terms of their the impacts of the pandemic. Um, and that's the reality. Um, for many of those businesses, they closed down their doors because they were told to close down. Some closed their doors for over 400 days. That hurts. You're not going to make back that money. Um, and, of course, everyone thought it was only going to last a few weeks or oh, maybe a few more weeks. That's the reality they're facing. They're waking up and saying, I did my part. I did what the government asked me to do. And I just wanted more time to be able to pay this back so that I can get things in my business back to normal. And unfortunately, they didn't have that time. So now what we're asking government to do is to see where else they could provide financial reprieves for small businesses that are facing a really tough time right now. Had there been any conversations leading up to last Friday, Christina, about extending this deadline for repayment out any further? Uh, It's definitely been one of our asks for a long time. Uh, We had lobbied federal government officials uh, and uh, elected officials in in government for quite a while. Um, We were disappointed when the government announced only an 18-day extension in September 14th. It was 18 days. There was that refinancing deadline piece that came into the equation. But all in all, we told government it's not going to help every single small business or as many small businesses as they would have hoped. Um, so we kept fighting and no subsequent announcements were made. But uh, we we're definitely going to try to see if the government can't get can provide relief in other ways to support our small business owners because a small business in our community for a dollar we spend there 66 cents stays local for a dollar we spend at a multinational only 11 cents stays local so the impact of losing those small businesses on our communities is huge i think that's such a great point and one for us to always remember for sure christina i appreciate your advocacy on this and your time on the show thank you very much for being here Thank you very much, Mike. Christina Santini, Director of National Affairs with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. That is a pretty telling statistic. 66 cents on every dollar spent at a local business stays local. 11 cents at a multinational business stays local for every dollar spent. And this echoes what I actually saw online from a small business owner on Friday who quoted... Dan Kelly, who's the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, social media posts. So this is what Dan had to say. 
on Friday. Today is a sad day for many Canadian small business owners. An estimated 200,000 small businesses woke up even deeper in pandemic debt than they were on Thursday. It is a sad finding that an additional $20,000 in debt could mean the end of a Canadian business. But that is where CFIB research tells us so many are at nearly four years after the pandemic began. Small businesses didn't take on these loans because they wanted to, nor because they were foolish business owners making bad decisions. They took on this debt at the start of a worldwide pandemic when governments ordered them to close in order to protect society. At the time, governments said they needed a few weeks to flatten the curve, and economists predicted pent-up demand would create booming economic times following the end of restrictions. Instead, Canada had the longest lockdowns in the world, with restaurants and gyms shut tight for up to 430 days over a two-year period in some parts of Canada. The post-pandemic spending spree never materialized for small businesses. It was replaced with inflation and massive cost hikes on every line of a business's budget. Today, only half of small businesses are back to pre-pandemic levels of sales. I am very worried about what the next few months hold for Canadian small business owners as the reality of their increased debt level takes hold. That from the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Dan Kelly. We'll talk to a local business owner, find out the impact of these SEBA repayments on his business. Next, stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. I'll take you back to what Dan Kelly, the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, had to say last Friday. I am very worried about what the next few months hold for Canadian small business owners as the reality of their increased debt level takes hold. Well, let's hear from one of those local businesses. Stan Suffield is the general manager at Marcella Carpets and joins us for a conversation. Stan, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How are you? Oh, pretty good. I'm would glad. Be better if my bills would have pulled it off. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know what? Your bills got the better of my Steelers a weekend ago, so you'll forgive me if I don't feel too bad for you today. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> there will be better better days ahead, I think, for both of our football teams. Absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear you're doing pretty good today, Stan. All things considered, because. I'm sure that SEBA loan repayment deadline uh, hits uh, a business like Marcella Carpets right in the pocketbook like so many others. What's the impact on your place of work? Well, Mike, um, I guess just basically we were kind of forced to shut down by the Canadian government, which, um, you know, really, really hurt the bottom line. So we took out the SEBA loan, uh, obviously, um, to keep the lights on and pay our employees. And... um, you know, given the economic times, um, interest rates are high, consumer confidence is low. It's a slower time right now in January um, and February, and just the timing of the repayment um, couldn't really be worse. It's just taking, you know, money directly out of the company um, for us to save the, you know, the $20,000 um, forgiveness. Um, and it's just not, just not good timing for us at this point. Yeah, so it's the timing in the business cycle with the time of year, plus the timing 
given the the challenging economic times that we're in today. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if they could even, you know, roll it into the the spring market, I feel like, you know, if uh, interest rates stabilize, it'll, um, you know, spark some consumer spending. And um, people are just basically scared to spend money right now because they're not sure the state of the economy. When we peel back the layers on this a little bit, Stan, and I think you alluded to it a little bit too, when you first took out this loan, it's not as though you felt as though or maybe even had any choice in the matter, did you? You couldn't keep your doors open because of pandemic shutdowns. Absolutely. I mean, um, like your previous caller was saying, we didn't know if it was going to be, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months and it just seemed to drag on and on. Um, so we really had no choice. We had to, we had no, um, no income coming in and we wanted to keep everybody paid and, uh, you know, get through it all together. And, um, unfortunately, yeah, just put everybody behind the eight ball, not just us. Restaurants have suffered. Um, even just, uh, consumers, not as many people going out to eat now. People are staying home. So, I mean, it's really affected everybody. Were you advocating at all for some sort of extension? You mentioned the spring, maybe see a little bit more in terms of stabilization in the economy. Would a, an ex, a further extension help have helped out? Yes, absolutely. I think um, I think the extension, I mean, if we could have even got into the summer, June, um, that would give people enough time to kind of get back up on their feet um, and, you know, pay off some of the pandemic debt that we already incurred. Um, so, you know, just the timing of this really really hurts uh, small business and uh anyway yeah that's it's just it's a tough tough time hopefully we can get through it here and carry on without giving away too many trade secrets stan what does this mean for a business like marcella carpets how are you going to go like what what changes to your business what happens to your business by way of changes if anything dramatic in order that that you can now repay this well, I mean, uh, just cutting corners, right? Like sure. A lot of cost savings. We're just looking at, um, you know, specific areas where we can tighten up things and, you know, hunker through this until uh, until the spring. We're we're hoping that, uh, you know, if interest rates hopefully stabilize or possibly on the decline, that will sort of inspire um, customers to get out there and uh, and spend and and do some things and stimulate the economy and, you know, that little bit of time. Um, would have put us in a lot better position uh, than we are today. You're you're a member of our local small business community, Stan. What does that what does that mean that that small business community as a group mean to the region of Waterloo? Well, I mean, it's basically the backbone of our economy, right? It's it's our our company, all our employees, all the people that work for us and their families. That's how we that's how we help uh, feed everybody, right? So everybody's got to feed their family. Um, we got to feed our employees' families, so it's 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 very very critical um, that all these small businesses succeed. And unfortunately, with the way things are going, I feel like a, a lot a lot of small businesses are going to have a tough time staying in business. I can't even imagine the pressure. How much stress does this bring on for you? Oh, unbelievable! <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, the the stress is enormous. It's just you know trying to keep positive and try to get through these next couple of months and hopefully things pick up and stabilize and we can get uh, get back on our feet and, and, and keep rolling. But absolutely, I mean, to all your listeners, if they can get out there, um, support all their small local businesses, um, that's how everybody feeds their family. So, you know, we, we, uh, we appreciate everybody's support 
and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's another great reminder. Stan, really appreciate you making time for the show this morning. Thank you very much for being here. Great. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Stan Suffield is the general manager at Marcella Carpets, and there you go again. You get the reminder. Like, Get out there. Support your small business. It was a small business owner whose post on social media brought me to Dan Kelly's post, the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And remember what our guest from the CFIB said, Christina Santini. 66 cents of every dollar spent at a local business stays local. Two-thirds of every dollar. These are the companies whose names appear on the back of your kids' sports jerseys, typically. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Just ahead of an update from the City News Centre. Let's get back to the phones, hear from you on these SIBA loan repayments and the impact on our local business community. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so it's sad to hear that from Marcella because uh, I actually had a brother-in-law who worked there ages ago, and I actually went to work with him one day for the uh, join an adult to go to work day for school. Um, but the, the Monday morning facetious side of me wants to pull two gems out that just come to mind, and that's that, uh, like, who really cares anyway because small businesses are all tax cheats. And what was the other one? Oh, yeah, he took on all this debt so that we didn't have to. Right, and then wait a minute. Can you back up to that? For, hang on, hang on. Can you back up to that first one? Small businesses are tax cheats. Yeah, you remember Trudeau saying that? Oh, I don't remember that. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of his first gems when he first got into the dictatorship there and, and started going off and <laughs> wanted to do all these tax reforms because you know small businesses aren't paying their fair share. They're all tax cheats. I okay. It, I are you're paraphrasing here a little bit. Actually, no. I think he actually used that term. Okay. I, I will look it up and uh, see if I can get the direct quote in that regard. I will just, I will close the loop on this. Uh, please do support your local small business. I, we do it in our family as much as we possibly can. It is, in my humble opinion, the best way to go. So let's keep those businesses that keep our neighbors employed in business. That's the way it should work, right? All right. Uh, We're going to talk just after this update from the City News Centre about whatever the heck it was that we saw on Saturday afternoon in London between the Rangers and the Knights. I can't, I don't think, accurately and honestly call it a hockey game. We'll talk more about that in just a bit. Right now to the City News Centre we go in this update with Mark Douglas. I don't want to say I've lost my focus today, but my head is spinning. There's been so much going on. I can't even describe anymore what I'm witnessing. It's just... It's like slap shot. A lot of physical play and, and, and head shots and all this other stuff. This game is, it, it, it's not what I expected. I, I have to be honest. And I'm quite disappointed. I thought we saw a pretty good hockey game last night. This is not a good hockey game. It's a bit of hockey with a bunch of stupidness. I remember standing on the corner at midnight. Trying to get my courage up. It's a bit of hockey with a lot of stupidness. Earlier in the show, Paul Fixter, you were quoted as saying it's a bad word show. <laughs> That's what we saw on Saturday afternoon in London. I hope, though, a little bit of Bob Seeger puts you in a better mood this morning. Oh, great, great song, Mike. <laughs> so appropriate to having done what we did yesterday. And just before we get started, I'll take Eminem over Taylor Swift any day. 
Thank so you very much. We did have the opportunity, and you mentioned Main Street by Bob Seeger, yeah. who was allegedly in attendance at the same football game we were at yesterday. I didn't see Bob Seeger. We did see Eminem on yep. the big screen and uh, Jeff Daniels and some others when we got to watch Lions Bucks. That was a fun way to spend a day. We, we talked about it on the way down, Mike, about life. Uh, the dash is what's important. That was a dash for me uh, between your birth and your death. That goes right in my dash, my dashboard. I, I loved it. It was great spending a lot of time with you. And, and uh, as Leslie said to me when I got home, boy, that was a long day. I said, yeah, but it was a fun day. It really was. I felt exactly the same way and still do. And as I said, I thought that might be a, a nice way to ease into this as we probably better 48 hours later, Paul, to reflect back on whatever the heck it was we saw in London on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it was, um, wasn't hockey, that's for sure, Mike. It, it was disappointing, too, because such a buildup to such a big weekend, uh, first of all, two losses hurts the Rangers. It, it, it stings. Uh, but just the way the game just got away. And I will say this, though. I, 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 I do compliment the officials for doing... Uh, as, as good a job as they could. It, it was a very difficult situation. My head was spinning to try and keep up with, with all the infractions and, and keep my score, my score sheet up to date. I don't know how they did it. It was incredible. I did reach out to one of the officials post-game and, and just said, hey, guys, you know, you did the best you could, I thought. It's too bad that that's what we remember this weekend about, that and the two losses, um, because it shouldn't have been that way. I thought the Friday night game was a pretty good hockey game. We lost? Okay, yeah. You're going to win or you're going to lose. That's the, that's the result of hockey. But Saturday was a debacle. And uh, as much, you know me as much as anybody, I enjoy physical rough play. That wasn't physical rough play. That was uh, borderline crazy. And, you know, I just read some of the comments from some of the players. And even they, like Oliver Bonk, who's a good player, said, there were like three million fights out there. Well, that isn't a good comment for the league. It's a great point. And I realized as you're talking that I didn't even do a proper job of introducing you. I just assume that everybody <laughs> knows Paul Fixter by now, of course, our color commentator on Kitchener Rangers broadcasts on City News 570. Those officials and what they were faced with on Saturday, I think it's a really good point, Paul. We went through a period of that hockey game, if we can call it that, where one minute of hockey came off the clock in that third period in 15 minutes of real time. It, it it was incredible what it took to get through that third period. Yeah, and you could even hear the fans in, you know, the 9,000 fans in, in London um, getting restless. Like, they were there to watch a hockey game, not watch four officials stand around and figure out what had just happened on the ice. And, you know, it's amazing, Mike, the, uh, the Andonovsky-Rakoff incidents happened, and then I think it was eight seconds, was it eight seconds later, Mercer and Cowan got into it. So we had a lot of time to fill as they were figuring that out, 15 minutes, uh, of just fill. And we should have been talking about a rivalry, a hockey game, uh, first place on the line. And what we were just talking about was the gloves and sticks and helmets that were all over the ice and the players that were getting ejected. And, you know, we looked down at one point, I believe you took a picture, there were as many players in the penalty box as there were on the benches for the for the Rangers and London Knights. Uh, I had some friends at the game who were texting me saying, what is going on here? Like, th- this is this is crazy. This is out of control. And uh, I, I just don't know what really triggered it. 
you know, both coaches said, I, I read some comments from Dylan Hunter and I interviewed UC Hocus. Both coaches said they were trying to injure us. So I don't know who to point the finger at, who started it. And this isn't about who started it. Both teams were involved in it. And uh, I hope it doesn't happen anymore. I, 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 love, I love rivalries. I love physical hockey. But that to me is a sideshow. I love physical hockey too. And I'm even still okay in this day and age, Paul, with the occasional fight in the game. But the way the game is policed, particularly in the Ontario Hockey League, and you get three fights for the season before you get suspensions added for each subsequent fight. Three for the season. We had, uh, Oliver Bonk said three million. I had him at five. Josh Brown had him at six. But either way, at least five fights in one game. And I think that tells you almost everything you need to know about that game. And I read different um, different numbers uh, it was 100-plus minutes in penalties, yes. whatever the number. It doesn't matter what the number is. I don't know if they count 10-minute misconducts or not. I mean, Mike, that's we'll go through games where, you know, you'll ask me, are they going to get a power play goal tonight? I'm wondering, are they even going to get a power play? And, and then we, we had that. So, um, yeah, it just haven't seen that in a long time. Let's just say that. And, you know, you and I were, were talking on the way down to Detroit yesterday about, you know, tough players. And I, you know, you asked me about my time here, and I started to come up with names like, you know, Tyler Randall, Brash, uh, Brandon Mashender, Ben Thompson. But, you know, then there's been a real lull of, of that type of player. I guess the player hasn't been needed. Well, apparently it is when you, when you face London. So I have a theory in this regard as to, again, not to point fingers, but to how maybe this all transpired and, and came to pass. We'll, we'll get into that as we uh, continue our conversation with Paul Fixter this morning, our color commentator on Rangers broadcasts on City News 570. What the heck happened on Saturday? It sure wasn't the good old hockey game. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. The London Knights came into Kitchener on Friday night, beat the Rangers essentially by one goal. It was a 4-2 final with an empty netter with 30 seconds to play. Pretty good hockey game. On Saturday, a completely different story in London where the Knights not only won 10-3, but they exacted a physical toll on the Kitchener Rangers in 100-plus penalty minutes, and we have confirmed six fights in the game. Paul Fixter, our color commentator on Rangers broadcasts on City News 570, joins me. In studio, I've been wondering about this, Paul. The London Knights are a good hockey club. Nobody's going to deny that. They've got some really nice players like Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan and Oliver Bonk. But I wonder if they look at a team like the Kitchener Rangers and maybe some other teams like the Saginaw Spirit, who they've played since the trade deadline. And the Spirit have basically every talented, skilled player in the league now. Owen Beck, Zane Perak, it just goes on and on. Josh Bloom. The Rangers have a lot of really talented players in Mashar, Chalet, Rakoff, Sop, and, and these guys like to freewheel. They like to freestyle. They like to put up points. And maybe London Knights' approach to a game like that is let's just annoy the star players so much that they don't get that opportunity to be offensively gifted and, and show off their stuff because we're going to kind of beat them into submission and take them off their game. I think you're exactly, you're bang on, Mike. And I even read such comments from, from their staff kind of alluding to that. Kitchener's a high-end offensive team who likes to freewheel. We need to slow that down. 
and I mean, slow it down is what they did. They also knocked some of them out of the game. You know that the fallout from this is is what hurts as well as we go on a tough two game road swing up north. Well, north to Sault Ste. Marie and then down to Saginaw. With we're not sure the extent of Swick left the game. We know Mashar is out. We know Cameron Reed's still out from from previous. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Andonovsky? And um, I'm missing one other, I think, from from the Saturday game that got injured. Um, Swick was the injury on Saturday. I don't... Yeah. Was there another? Maybe maybe not. But, you know, like the fallout from this is... I think is, there was some dental work that needed to be done uh, for yeah. somebody. Yeah, so yeah. we're not... Yeah. Yeah. So the fallout from this is, you know, who's going to get called up to fill those spots. And the schedule doesn't get any easier. I think, I think London really goes by the adage of, you know, if you can't beat him in the alley, you can't beat him on the ice. Uh, I was in those games many years ago. Uh, that hasn't changed. And I think London didn't get into that in the Kitchener game because they set him up nicely for what we were going to do in London. That's just my that's just my theory. That's my belief. And I don't think I'm wrong. Yeah, it's going to be a tough weekend ahead, and we're not sure yet. The league notes don't have any... Uh notices up yet about possible suspensions but I, I do suspect Matt Andonofsky for Kitchener, let Jackson Edward for London's like to, likely to be suspended after this. Not to mention the Diracolo hit from Friday night. That's I mean true. that was a pretty vicious I think. Uh, Sops cross check from behind. Now on the other side of that, London is facing some too I would think. Gotta be. I don't, I'm glad I'm not the person at the league office that has to review that videotape. They've been so quick at posting these things, it's no wonder they haven't posted them yet because there's so much to probably go through. All right, let's quickly go to the phones and hear from uh, Rangers fans. Andre, good morning. <laughs> good morning. I'm so happy. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, just get right to the point. We've got lots of calls, please. Awesome. So my big point is to uh, Dale Hunter. I said it before in your show, Mike. Um, I met him and uh, Bertuzzi Scott Stevens um, and others because they hang around in Quebec City at the bar and I put my hand on his back to move because he was in the way and he was very ignorant but now that he's in London he's uh, he's matured up yes okay well maybe is that a more mature Dale Hunter I don't know <laughs> Dale Hunter played the game you know Dale Hunter played the game on the edge and there's nothing wrong with playing the game on the edge I think what happened Saturday crossed over that I think that, so too that line yeah. that edge you know I mean, Dale Hunter had some suspensions over his over his career. Lots of great players had suspensions over their careers. So I'm not gonna, I you know, I happen to have been around Dale Hunter when when he was in Colorado, so I know him quite well. I actually, I know people are gonna crucify me for this. I like Dale Hunter. Um, I didn't like the way his team played on Saturday. Fair enough. And you know what? There are fans in 19 markets around the Ontario Hockey League who have a strong dislike for Dale Hunter. And that's what makes the game great because, you know, every time there were 65,000 there, Mike, yesterday, and every time Baker Mayfield and his team got on, they booed him, they cheered him, or they jeered him. It was, it was awesome. So fan, that's what fans do. Yep. And they're allowed to do that to the London Knights. Every good story needs a good heel, and Dale Hunter and the London Knights play that perfectly. Nick, good morning. Morning, guys. How are you today? Really well, thank you. How are you? Uh, can't complain. It's good. Monday, so there's a ceiling on how good it can be. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't watch uh, either uh, either Ranger game that you're talking about this weekend. I missed them both. Um, but I want to say two things. Number one, um, I used to, to referee a little bit. And, you know, it's tough for the guys on the ice to manage a hockey game when no one wants to play hockey. 
And I know it's uh, it's easy for uh, fans to blame officials on how a game can go and can turn that way. But when guys don't want to play hockey, I think it's it's really hard for the officials to keep uh, keep a leash on everybody. Um, but my second point is I think there's a little bit of responsibility on the league here when it comes to scheduling. I think this home-and-home home stuff two nights in a row really needs to be looked at because something happens on – you know, a Friday night and it, the game gets a little chippy and everyone knows they're going to play each other the next night. That's 24 hours to get all amped up and all, you know, ready to rock and roll. And then you come out flying, looking to fight. So I think the league should really look at how they manage some of those uh, home and home schedules moving forward. Nick, thanks for the call. That's great points both. And we already talked, Paul, you brought forward and I would agree The officials on Saturday did a great job. Let's explore Nick's other point a little bit further, too. We'll take a quick break and come back as we continue with the the debacle at Budweiser Gardens. The battle at the... I I shouldn't hype it up anymore. It was a mess on Saturday. Paul Fixter joining me in studio on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. In studio with Kitchener Rangers color commentator Paul Fixter. Kyle, we're going to get to your call on the line in just a second, but I want to follow up on what Nick was saying about back-to-back home and homes, and maybe there's some culpability here on the part of the league for artificially ratcheting up some, you know, animosity here, Paul. Well, that happens in the playoffs. There is a day between, usually. But you made a really good point to me, Mike. We had it earlier this season with Brantford here and then and then in Brantford. Two really good hockey games. They were great hockey games. Great hockey games. Uh, I can't think of any craziness that happened in those games uh, and two very good hockey clubs so it can he made a really good point about the back-to-back when it's you know two teams that really hate one another yeah but um, back-to-backs can happen without what happened on Saturday and Nick's point about the officials if if you saw Saturday's game and you're hanging this on the officiating crew I think you're hanging it on the wrong group. It's not as though they let things get out of hand. Things just got out of hand, and they were left trying to clean up the mess. And they did a good job of cleaning up the mess. Like, you, you you can't control somebody... Well, what you do is you throw them out, and they did a good job. They threw players out of the game. There were a lot of players thrown out of the game. Yeah, and that's all they can do. All right, let's go to the phones and uh, hear from Kyle this morning. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. A good question, Paul. You've obviously coached in the OHL. Um, when you see penalties on both sides, whether it's London or Kitchener, how do you control your team um, in terms of discipline and making sure that you don't want, obviously, your players to be suspended or injured in terms of the physicality of this game? So how would you control it for moving on, if that's even possible? Thanks, guys. You can control it one of two ways. One is you have a conversation with them, you talk to them, you try to explain to them, you know, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole just like you would, you know, teach your kid not to do something wrong. Or the other way to control it is you keep them on the bench. You don't put them out there. That's really it. And once you open that door and they go out there, you've lost control. Just like you let your kid go out into the community, you know, after school or after hours, you know, you hope they're doing the right things. When you put them on the ice, you hope they're doing the right thing. Or if you don't believe they can, you leave them on the bench. Like, that's that's it. And, and emotion plays such a big part of this game and let's face it, it was an emotional, ramped-up game. And once you're out there, once your adrenaline gets going, you do things you might regret, crazy things. And, and, and that happens in society, and that happens in the course of a hockey game when your emotions are running high and the adrenaline's flowing. 
was absolutely wild stuff on Saturday, and we've touched on the big weekend ahead for the Kitchener Rangers, and we're not sure which players they will have at their disposal. And then after the games in Sault Ste. Marie and Saginaw, Friday, Saturday, next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow at the Memorial Auditorium, guess what? London's here, and, and you know, Mike. <laughs> get your tickets now. It, yeah, you get your tickets. But if if people expect the same explosion that happened Saturday, a lot of times the build up, the build up, the build up, and then it's what was that? You know, we could go through a game on Tuesday where there's two penalties aside, and really no. And I expect that more than I expect a follow up uh, or the same sort of thing that we saw on Saturday. I really do. I think it'll be a a good hockey game. You know, and the Rangers have to get back on the winning ways. Like that, their focus has to be not on beating London up. Their focus has to be on beating London. We saw a lot of each other this weekend, and I dragged you back in here today. I'm just getting you ready for the road ahead, because we got ourselves a doozy of a road trip coming up, Fixie. Yeah, the Sault Ste. Marie's a long, long trip, um, and then Saginaw. Two, two really good tests for the, for the hockey club to see, you know, how, how do they respond to this, and how do they respond with probably some holes in the lineup. No question. It's going to be a big weekend ahead. Paul Fixter, our color commentator on Kitchener Rangers broadcast here on City News 570, joining me in studio. An update from the City News Centre with Christine Clark, and then the author of the book, White Questions, Black Answers, joins us on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. She is not just an author. She has been recognized as a change maker in Waterloo Region. And we are very pleased to be joined on the program this morning by Grace Ibrahima, the author of White Questions, Black Answers. Grace, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you? I am very well. Thanks. I'm excited. And before I forget, and before we go any further, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me to put my story out there to the general public. And just what your um, advert just said about discrimination, the sense of belonging and racism, that's what I'm doing, Well, especially with children. And we are so happy, Grace, to have this platform to share your story because your story is really helping children share their stories, isn't it? Absolutely. You couldn't have put it any better. So what is White Questions, Black Answers all about? Okay. In 2020, um, when we had the Nelson Mandela celebration at the region of Waterloo, here in Kitchener, I was invited there to speak and at that time there was i was speaking about my first book mercy one life many stories in particular and there was a family from fergus and they had a little boy he must have been about ten and a half at the time so i was selling books there as well and the parents came up to me and asked if i could they could buy a book i said sure and I said, would you like me to sign it? And the mom says, yes, please. To whom? She says, to this, my son. So I was, honestly, Mike, I was amazed. I said, to your son? She says, yes. I said, how old is he? How old is he? She says, ten and a half. She bought the book. I signed it. And they went underway. 
a few days later, she sent me a Facebook message. She said, this son, his name is Nicholas. He read the book. He took it camping with him. He came back. He did his uh, English assignment on the first part of the book. And he asked the teacher to invite me to come to the class to speak. Okay? Fergus is a predominantly white area. So I accepted the invitation. I went and I spoke about my life, you know, the abuse, the lack of education. Uh, They took me out of school when I was nine years old, and I didn't start my education until I was 22. So there was this young, black, semi-literate woman. And something was bugging me after that presentation at the school. So I phoned the teacher again, and I said, you know, there is something, and I, I just feel as though your, your students wanted to ask me more questions. I said, if you don't mind, if your student don't mind, I would like to come back, and this time it will be different. She says, how different? I said, I would like your student to ask me absolutely anything about blackness, not other people's blackness, my blackness. And I could almost see the teacher's shoulder drawn up because that's not something people say. So I went there. Well, it was around the time of COVID, and it was um, via Zoom. And let me tell you, Mike, our children, and I say this in a general term, all children to me is our children. They have got a lot of questions, and they are not getting the answer they need. And it's not through any fault of the parents or the family. Is because if you are not brought up in a certain society, you will not know about that society until you go out of your circle, out of that box, and ask. So the book is about 96 questions from these children, not from the parents, not from the teacher or the principal, from the parents and answers I give. So that's what Black Question, White Answer is about. And now it's in the, in the classroom. You know, and it's making a, a fair amount of waves, you know, through our community and beyond. How does it feel to you, Grace, to have been named a Waterloo Region change maker? Well, Mike, you know, if you were to look into my heart or my brain, you'll see a very humble, grateful, honored person. In fact, I cried. And I didn't cry because I'm depressed, because I'm not a depressive person. But I cried to, 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 um, because of whatever happened to me and some horrendous thing happened to me, okay? And plus, by the way, alcohol beat me down so badly. And in spite of all of these things, I just kept going. And to me, this award says, Grace, we honor you, we respect you, we are proud of you, but... We are very happy about the work you're doing, not for yourself, but for children. Why is it important to do that work, Grace, for the children, as opposed to, like you said before, even their parents or the schools? Why is it important for you to focus on the children? Mike, in my life, and not too long ago, one day I went to my for my walk, and I was walking down the street, and this pre-kindergarten, little boy came up. His name is Logan. And he says, hello. I've never seen, we've never met before. So I said, hello. He says, and how are you? So we started chatting like old friends. 
okay, from way back. He says, I want you to see my sister and my mom. And from that point on, we became friends. Now he's in one of the local schools here. And he introduced me to his sisters. And if you were to go to my website, on my Facebook page, on September 4th, um, just the beginning of, of this school year, I had a little get-together in my backyard for children. And those were the children who asked me questions, who parents bought the book, they read it, they asked me more questions. And, Mike, they are some of the t- children who taught me about inclusivity and what it's like to be included regardless of the color of your skin, how you look, your age, your status in life, just for who I am. And there were 14 children and their parents, and we had a really good time. So I found for the children, our people around my age, and maybe your age as well, we've got assumptions. We've got preconceived idea about people, places, and things. But for the children, bless the heart, they come with an open mind. And they're very easy to, to, to talk to. They're curious. They're wise. They're intelligent. Yes. Grace, thank you for giving the children their voice, and thank you very much for making time for our show today. We appreciate it. Okay. So I was just asking your colleague, um, I would like to post this on my Facebook page, you know, um, because when I do any presentation, it's not so much for me, but it is to put out that for the general public and, and it will help somebody out there. So I was told I will be able to get a recording to put on my Facebook page. We will make right. sure that happens for you. Absolutely. And, and when do I see it on on? When would it be aired, and when could I look at it? We are on the air right now, Grace. Okay, but I, I cannot see that. And we will, yes, we will send you a copy of the recording for sure today. Right, right. Okay, and Mike. Just one other thing. There is another story I think we could have. I well, I, I, I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm suggesting of this little boy, white boy, and another person who played a big role in my life to get me here was my former prof. I met him at um, uh, McMaster, but now he teaches at Western. Those, that will be a, a quite a powerful story. And these two people, they're all white, and this black woman. So, <laughs> so I think that would be a really good story for Black History Month. I don't know. We Absolutely, Grace. We will make sure we follow up that way, too. Thank you very much. we right. got to run, okay. but thank you for being here. Okay, thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, right, bye. Grace Ibrahima is the author of White Questions, Black Answers, joins us on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. It is the Every Person's Running event. A marathon, 26 miles, No. How about a quarter, 0.25 of a kilometer? Now, that sounds like the kind of road race I could possibly find myself running. Jeff McIntyre is the president of the Grand Valley Construction Association and the founder of the 0.25K 
for Cancer Research. Jeff, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm great. This race was designed for you, my friend. All right. Uh, and we've also, you know what, Devin, we're going to have to, that's not coming through at all. So we're just going to put Jeff back on hold and we're going to bring things over to Paul McIntyre Royston, who is the CEO of the Grand River Hospital Foundation. PMR, good morning to you. I'm great, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I'm terrific. Thank you very much. Uh, since Jeff sounds as though he might actually be underwater at the moment, I know you can fill in some of the blanks here about the 0.25K for cancer research. This is right up my alley. I mean, I think I can handle a quarter of a kilometer. What's this all about? Well, that's what I said as well when Jeff told us about the idea. You know, there's all these runs and these inspiring people, especially in January. I applaud. I applaud people who do marathons and half marathons and 10Ks and 5Ks. But frankly, I I still want to do a run. I still want to feel good about myself. But uh, we thought after talking to Jeff, we were all in. And so it's a 250 meter. There's going to be stretching. There's a water station. There's the opportunity to go to the beer garden afterwards. This is the run for you. And it's all in support of cancer at Grand River and support the program there. So, 250 yeah. meters and you can go to the beer garden afterwards. Dare I say, you might even be so bold. Can you go to the beer garden beforehand, Paul? Because 250 meters, we could probably do after having a wobbly pop. We're not judging. (laughs) (laughs) And as we say, you can walk, you can crawl. I'm bringing all five of my daughters out. They're all doing it. Because it's, it's accessible, right? My, my neighbor's kid, uh, she's one and a half, just started walking. They're going to bring her out. Because it's like, again, you, there's, you know, the, the reward at the end and the whole process, it is going to be so much fun. All right. I think we have established a better connection with Jeff McIntyre. <laughs> so let's bring it back around. Jeff Mack, are you still with us? I've got you now. Oh, look at that. It's such a beautiful thing. Leave it to you to come up with an idea like this. And shockingly, it involves a little bit of uh, malt and barley beverages. Yeah. My, my, uh, my, the motivation came from the fact that I'm either fortunate or foolish enough that I've run 14 full marathons myself. And uh, I think that comes from the no-brain, no-pain school, uh, <laughs> school of thought. But Every single time I had, I'd run a race, I get a nice technical running shirt that tells me that I've run Boston or New York or Toronto or Detroit. And I thought, there's a lot of people say, you know, they're envious of these shirts. And I thought, why do you have to run a whole 226.2 miles when, in fact, you could run, um, first of all, we, we thought it'd be 1,000 meters. Of, but then we broke it down even further. Uh, but everyone that runs this is going to get a technical shirt as if they just accomplished a marathon. But the thing about it is that 0.25K, the, the decimal point is going to be very, very small. So it doesn't matter. Everyone will think you or you could lie and say you ran a 25-kilometer race. But basically, you've accomplished exactly what I did just at a, uh, at a smaller scale. It's absolutely true. we're going to be inside. That's the great part, Mike. You Wait, don't even have to be outside for this. You're actually doing this all inside Catalyst Commons? Yeah, when we came up with this, initially we were going to do it outside, and we had good, really good response, and we were going to do it in October, but then we decided to make it a bigger event because we had such good response that so we've moved it indoors so that there's no weather, wind. You never have to run into a headwind. If you're in Catalyst Common, running from myovision down to the back door at Desire Learn, it's exactly 250 meters. So we're going to be able to do all of this in completely weather-controlled uh, conditions. I didn't even no notice that. Farwell. 
That's, that's the thing. You talked about the decimal point being really tiny, so you might be able to get away with people thinking you ran a 25K. I completely missed the indoor loophole. This is brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> It allows you to achieve your New Year's resolutions in a really easy way. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, why why cancer research? Why is this important to you? I, I think I, I've been unfortunate again to have it know a number of employees, family, friends, employees, neighbors, um, and I live in the shadow of the hospital. I literally live, live about 250 meters away from the hospital, and uh, I don't know anyone that hasn't been impacted by cancer. And, uh, you know, I personally, I've been, and I'll pass over to Paul in a second, but I've, I've been there sitting with friends, my mother, going through treatment, in, you know, sitting in the chairs. And it's just a long time, uncomfortable type situation. We thought it affects all of us. And why not do something uh, unique? And 20th anniversary of the, you know, past Paul Grand River Hospital, uh, the, the sort of the cancer clinic. So we thought it was a perfect time to, uh, to celebrate the impact, the positive impact that's had on our community. Absolutely. And Paul, can you expand on that a little bit, the cancer care we have available right here and how these sorts of fundraisers help? Well, you know, fundamentally how the the equipment in the hospital gets paid for is by this community stepping up. And and we live in a remarkable community. And if you look back over the 20 years, it's been absolutely amazing. And our cancer center has actually grown, unfortunately. You know, you you don't like that one by, uh, you know, 5 to 7 to 9% a year, year over year for the last 20 years. And so, you know, that support is critical. Literally, we, we you know, our MRI that we recently got in, we're fundraising for a PET CT. This one's going to go to chemo chairs. All of that has to be funded locally. And I'll share one other stat with you, Mike. And this is something we just learned last week when, because we're in partnership with St. Mary's to, you know, build a new hospital in our community. We learned that every year, one in two and a half people, so pretty much every household in this region, you're coming to the hospital. Right. That's the depth of the service that we're getting, not just from the cancer clinic, but from across the system. And, and so doing something like this is just a way for for us to come together and, and appreciate. You know, we are I know we're going to have some medical staff there as well. And it's just they, they love this. And when they see these things happen, they're over the moon. Jeff, this is coming up on Sunday, February the 25th. So we still have a month to train for our 250 meter <laughs> run. Uh, where can we find more information? I'm going to pass it to Paul. You know, I'm not in front of my computer, but I want to make sure he gives me the right First link, year. and I apologize for that. No, that's okay. Great. PMR? Yes. You just go to point25.ca. Now, the decimal doesn't work on the URL, so it's the word point, P-O-I-N-T, 25.ca, and that has all the details, and you can sign up. I have my own fundraising page that my family's doing, and uh, we're, we're competing just like a big run. So this is a big deal, and uh, if it's successful, which we already look like it is, uh, we're going to try to do it on an annual basis at least. I love it. I love the work that you do and the effort you both put into everything that you're involved with. Thank you very much for being here and organizing another .25 for cancer research. Have a great day, guys. Take care. Same to you. All right. Jeff McIntyre and Paul McIntyre Royston joining us. Go to point, P-O-I-N-T, 25.ca. What a way to raise money for our regional cancer center. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. It is 11.01 on your Monday morning, this 22nd of January. Have you ever wondered if AI can be trusted that 
question was explored in a lecture late last week. We will explore it ourselves here on the show right after this update from the City News Center with Mark Douglas. It might be one of the defining questions of our time. Can we really trust artificial intelligence? Professor Lai Chi Fan is an assistant professor of technology and social change in the Department of Sociology and Legal Studies at the University of Waterloo. Lai Chi, good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. And I guess you can hear me then, too. Yes, I can. (laughs) Terrific. Thanks very much for making time for the show today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm always happy to talk about this topic. I'm glad that you are, because I think a lot of us have that big sort of existential question we're asking ourselves or maybe having conversations about over coffee. Can we really trust this artificial intelligence thing, whatever that is? And I wonder if that's not the starting point here, Lai Chi, if really what we're worried about is something that we don't fully understand. I think that's a fair uh, way to describe it. And definitely this conversation has been um, drifting from uh, dinner parties to classrooms to uh, workplaces. So starting there with the, fa- with the fact that we may not understand this technology is a great place. Um, primarily, I think what we're talking about is the opacity with which um, these technologies are being built, in which case I, I would like to redirect some of that conversation to say that it's not so much the technology that is in question as it is the industries and people involved in making and shaping what those technologies look like. So um, I, I often try to uh, provide that additional context when I'm talking about what artificial intelligence is. And do we have those guardrails or that level of transparency around the sorts of artificial intelligence that is being created? Well, that's a great question as well, because to a degree, we have some transparency in that companies want us to um, know what the technologies are, especially if they're going to be publicly available. I know the one that's most popular for people right now is probably ChatGPT and the like. Um, so there is transparency in, in terms of what it uses, some of its limitations and affordances. But do we know, for instance, what decisions went into training? No, actually, a lot of that is proprietary uh, in, in that uh, the company owns that information and they're not necessarily willing to share because that is their kind of bread and butter. On the whole, Lai Chi, are we dealing with a technology here that really is meant to make our lives easier and or better? I mean, is that why we move into this space? Sorry, pardon me. Could you please repeat the question? Yeah, I'm just wondering if this technology is something that on the whole we're looking at as a way to make life easier, to make life better, right? To cut down on some of those menial tasks. I have a feeling that's kind of where this all begins. The question is where it ends up, I guess. That's a great question, especially in regards to what types of tasks we're talking about and who we usually might think of as completing those tasks because, and maybe I'm already opening a can of worms, but that already leads into conversations about jobs and labor. So who are, who is completing those tasks? And in that sense, when we replace those tasks with automated technologies, like for instance, in artificial intelligence, are we also then replacing those jobs and those people? So in terms of its benefits, I mean, there are certain jobs that I don't wish for 
everyday citizens and other Canadians to do, including a lot of my work that has been on um, certain environmental impacts of technology. Some of that work is toxic. It's it's physically toxic. I don't want humans to do that work, right? But also, uh, there are so there are benefits in terms of um, let's say relaying that and delegating that kind of labor towards technology so that humans don't have to be negatively um, impacted and implicated. But on the other hand, we are also seeing a shift in the kinds of tasks that we might see as not something that we want to work put time into. And that could be um, <laughs> on a very different scale. It could even be the robot vacuums we have in our homes that we are, you know, delegating that work as well outwards. But that also means um, self-checkout counters. That can be um, other types of automated machines that we're starting to rely on more and more. And to a degree, that can be beneficial, especially in different contexts and for people's different needs. But, uh, yeah, we have to definitely weigh out the promises and perils there, including, for uh, as I mentioned, what kinds of jobs those are starting to take away. I know this issue, this technology is the word I was looking for, this technology and this big question about how much we can trust artificial intelligence was the subject of a panel discussion last week mm-hmm. at the university. How much work is being done? You know, so for Joe and Jane public here, Laichi, how much mm-hmm. confidence can we have in the work that's being done to, in some way, regulate AI? Thank you for bringing it back to trust and definitely public trust. I think uh, the lack of transparency that I mentioned becomes an issue because not only are uh, the researchers not being aware of uh, necessarily what's happening, but also, yeah, the common public uh, and uh, the common people, rather. And so um, what we can kind of do and and, and the, the degree to which we can regulate is still up for debate in that insofar as development and technology are created first and then we see uh, um, interactions and responses from government from legislation from regulation and what's really important there is that we have these different bodies including not just government and industry but also citizens like to hear their voices to hear their concerns we have to have multiple voices in the room to weigh out the pros and cons and talk about what makes sense both economically and ethically, and well, I, I, it's not a two things. It's not a it's not a two pronged issue. It's also socially. It's culturally. We want to take all of these things into account when we're talking about regulation, because often it can be limited to what's technical and what's regulatory. But really, I, I mean, and in order to make this um, to make AI responsible, in order to make it trustworthy, it has to think about people and the consequences on people. So how important is it that the general public trust artificial intelligence? To a certain degree, it's paramount just because the artificial intelligence is being integrated into our everyday lives in ways that might even be uh, unseen at times. Um, And what I I mentioned, um, self-checkout counters, but also the ways in which we might increasingly um, rely on AI and machine learning technologies to make decisions for us. And when we do that, there are some great promise, including uh, I'd love to, for instance, talk about um, the use of AI in medicine to uh, scan for diseases and potentially improve uh, diagnoses and, and, and even treatment recommendations. Like that's very exciting. 
But knowing that, that that AI is having an impact in such a wide way and in all aspects of society, it's really important that we try to, and also as researchers, so, so for citizens to make that effort to kind of want to learn more, but also there's that responsibility on the part of researchers and people in industry to be more open and represent things in a way that's acceptable so that they understand um, what technologies are becoming more and more available and also uh, the ways that they can be beneficial. I love the point, Laichi, about the impacts in medicine, for example, in the medical community, which I think we can fully understand how magnificent they can be. And as much as I almost hate to bring it back to a superhero movie, I'm thinking of <laughs> Spider-Man, and with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Isn't that where we're at here? <laughs> I think it is, and it's a good way of um, um, describing it. And as long as we're remembering that responsibility and um, keeping certain standards that are human-centered and responsible also for uh, for people who are not just in our own society, but in all parts of the world um, where these technologies are being used and developed, and also being responsible towards the earth. Like, as long as we're um, considering these things in our development, then I think that we're taking good steps towards um, increasing understanding and therefore increasing trust. Lai Chi, I really appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, thanks so much, Megan. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Lai Chi Fan is an assistant professor of technology and social change in the Department of Sociology and Legal Studies at the University of Waterloo. Can we really trust artificial intelligence? I in no way intend on being or wish to be a fear monger here, but I'll tell you what, I got my doubts. I just do, but I'm old. Maybe you feel differently. I would love to hear from you on this. Do you trust AI? Can we really trust this rapidly advancing technology? I'll get to Jason's call, and there's room for you, too, for participation in the Mike Farwell Show this morning. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Knowing that AI is having an impact in such a wide way and in all aspects of society, it's really important. So, so for citizens to make that effort to kind of want to learn more, but also there's that responsibility on the part of researchers and people in industry to be more open and represent things in a way that's acceptable so that they understand what technologies are becoming more and more available and also the ways that they can be beneficial. Lai Chi Fan is an assistant professor of technology and social change in the Department of Sociology and Legal Studies at the University of Waterloo. She joins us on the show this morning following a panel discussion last week under the headline question of, and it's a big one, can we really trust artificial intelligence? Just to be honest with you, I'm not certain that I do, but I'd love to hear from you on the show at 519 519- 570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Jason, good morning. Mikey, I'm going to give you my educated answer. Uh-uh. I saw the Terminator. I know what this stuff does. You know, obviously I'm being facetious, but what I will tell you is it will put people out of work. They will put people out of work. I know there is a long-term care facility, um, for instance, in our city, that will be using this to greet um, families uh, in their little foyer foyer area. And if you, all you have to do is look online and, and look at other places across the world that have used these robots, AI, um, to run 
recreation programs. That's what I do. I, I run recreation programs. Now, what I do is not rocket science, um, but at the same time, you know, it, it does take a certain skill to to program and to evaluate and all that other stuff. But these robots can read stories. They can call bingo. They can lead discussion groups. They can do trivia. So what's to say that my job is not in 20 years gone because now we can hire a robot. So I think going forward, you know, um, not immediately, but I think contracts that are going to be signed between union uh, between unions and employers, in particularly healthcare, um, they're going to have to be very cognizant of AI replacing human bodies um, in some of these places because they are so in tuned, um, and they will be even better in tune with what needs to be done in hospitals or long term care facilities. That we are going to lose that person to person element, which is so important in healthcare. Jason, really appreciate the call. And I was thinking that very thing, that person-to-person element that Jason says. Sure, the robot could call bingo and read stories, but can it read the room? Does it have the empathy to recognize that somebody in that room may not be feeling their best on that particular day? So that's interesting to me. And I, I like the facetious nature of Jason's call with, you know, I've seen the Terminator, etc. There is a responsibility on our part here because I do subscribe to the idea that the less we know about something, the less confidence we have in it. So this is brand new, and the technology seems to be going so quickly that it's understandably a little bit frightening. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So I'm not I'm not well versed in this whole this whole part of the universe, but I am very aware of it, and I, quite frankly, I'm I'm a little scared. Um, I've I've already impacted. Uh, I'm a designer part time. And uh, a lot of people are already using AI to do a lot of design work that I would typically be used for. Um, people bring me stuff, and they're like, you know, can you refine it a little bit? But just for, for people who aren't familiar with it, you know, it, it does an outstanding job, you know, based on the parameters that you'll give it. My concern is, while it's still in its infancy, you know, I, we, we use it, we see redesigned stories every day where, they're using AI to detect all kinds of patterns and stuff in the universe and, you know, like astronomy, stuff like that, that we didn't see, right? We, we couldn't possibly have comprehended, but it solved it within seconds. Um, you see, like, mathematicians and stuff, are, they're using it to solve puzzles and, and equations that we hadn't been able to. You know, and, and that's, all, that's all really neat. That's all interesting, but it, it's a very, very powerful tool. And my fear is that as we grow, especially now with the emergence of quantum computing and stuff, you know, how powerful are these things going to be in a decade and how reliable? And then, you know, you get some foreign government with, you know, some people who sit behind keyboards and now all of a sudden you've got something who's extremely powerful and, you know, they, they have no obligation to use the controls that the governments are all going to implement. And that's what worries me. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from in that score, Steve. And that's the dystopian future, perhaps, perspective on all of this. However... Where are we at in a decade? And frankly, how long until the machine continues to teach itself to learn? And we have a sentient, a sentient pardon me, being out of all of this. I, listen, it is, a, it is a brave new world, to say the very least. And most of us, Joe and Jane Public, have a lot of catching up to do in terms of our understanding of the technology and its applications. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. You know that a key part of this show is hearing from you, right? And to that end, we make space 
each and every day for a full hour from noon until one. We open up the phone lines to hear from you during the 12 o'clock talk back. So looking forward to that in about 30 minutes time. And right after this update from the City News Centre, it is our regular Monday morning at 1130 installment of Drew's Views with our good friend David Drew. And among other things that we will be discussing here on the program today with David Drew, why can't we have nice things? Oh, it's almost as existential a question as whether or not we can trust artificial intelligence. We'll explore that question and more with David Drew coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. Right now to the City News Center we go for this update. Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? I haven't seen hiding or shaggy head of that boy in four years. But you'd know him if you met him. Played harmonica like the cat lost his balls. Yep, Crazy Dave. Had a toothy smile as big as my hand. Always chewed on a toothpick or a long blade of grass. Drank from the bottle, rolled the worst cigarettes. Was impervious to insect bites. It's one of the best damn tree-planting highballers east of Prince George. I love it when David Drew shows up in studio wearing some of the very best clothing. I remember the floppy disk. I remember the cassette that you would stick a pencil through to tighten the tape within. And, of course, the good old VHS, which sometimes you had to push in the little tabs on the side so you could flip open the top, if you will, and straighten out what you had creased within. Do you remember those top-loading VHS machines where every time you put the tape in, it sounded like it was breaking at crunch so loud? (laughs) Oh, the times we have had and could continue to have reminiscing, but... I got a note this morning on Facebook Messenger from a friend I haven't seen in a while. It has been 20 years since Matt Osborne died, who was one of the greatest local musicians to come out of the KW area. And producer Paulie used to always talk to me when we were doing things over the Zoom because I had the big Matt Osborne portrait right over my shoulder. Yeah. And then just coming in here and hearing Scott Wiccan, who actually performed at Matt's funeral with a few of the other local musicians who were so impacted by him, I just started putting all that together. Wow, 20 years, eh? Yeah. Wow. Great memory there, too. Okay, let's dive into uh, some issues of the day, not the least of which... Ho-hum, if you ask me, David, another municipal councillor saying, hey, provincial government, you're not, you're not pulling your weight here. You're making it too hard on us municipalities to fund all the things that you should be funding. Let's review the funding arrangement. Didn't Olivia Chow do this very successfully in Toronto already? Yes, yes, she <laughs> did. But I am just loving it because I find so often it's a federal, provincial thing and the cities are caught in the middle and here's Diane Freeman just saying, no, you. You are causing this problem for us. We need you to deal with it. It seems like it's a very reasonable piece uh, position to put forward. I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I just remember when I was working for Harold, the number of times people thought municipal funding, funding problems were automatically the problem of the federal government because they have the most money. And the federal government can't just keep stepping in to fix provincial errors. Um, The provinces are responsible for the cities. They own it. So I was really glad for to see a Waterloo councillor leaving this on Doug Ford's doorstep. 
Is it is it dramatically different, though, David, than the motion that Doug Craig brought forward at regional council, albeit he did pressure feds within his notice as well? And as soon as you mention two levels of government, everybody gets to the point to the left and say it's their responsibility. So, right. you know, it, there's, there's good call to say the feds should be more involved, but to ask the feds to be more involved without to go around the provinces, it just... That's how you end up with these housing programs where provincial people are invited and not federal people and the left hand's not talking to the right one rather than everybody rowing in unison. So I was just really glad, you know, you fix this up. And if you clean up your yard, then the federal government can come in and do my sidewalk, so to speak. But you just, I just liked it that it was pointed, targeted at the right place. Kudos to Ms. Freeman, the Ward 4 counselor in the city of Waterloo. Okay, let's talk about things like, I don't know, Daycare that can be accessed for $10 per day. Uh, The illustrious post-secondary sector in this country, which can be accessed by people from anywhere in the world, and even more so of late. And then, of course, that system where we go when we're not feeling all that well to help us feel better. These are really, really good things in this country, right? But yet, we don't seem to be doing a very good job of managing them. Well... I find it interesting. Um, Student immigration is neither federal nor provincial, really. It's a bit of both because immigration is federal, but post-secondary education is provincial. So it's, again, one of those situations where everybody's – nobody's been talking to each other. And so the federal government had a checklist of if you qualify, you're in. The provincial governments had designated – degree-granting and diploma-granting institutions is able to accept these students, and the institutions said, hey, here's profit. And nobody was really looking and working with each other. In terms of health care, you know, we had a public health care system set up, I don't remember how many years ago, because it was before I was born, but it was supposed to be 50-50 between the provinces and the federal government. And, you know, if you listen to the provinces, the federal government's paying about 20%. If you listen to the federal government, they're like, no, 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 we're paying 35%. And it's like, yeah, well, where's my 50%? And now, and like back when we started talking about daycare, pardon me, early childhood education, I called this, that daycare was going to end up the exact same way as healthcare where we have a deal between the federal government and the provinces and the costs are shared and as costs go up, the provinces are going to be on the hook. And here we are with Toronto daycares withdrawing from the $10 a day program because they can't afford to stay in business if they participate in this program. And so we have everybody targeting the provincial government saying we need more money for this. And I'm sorry, was this two years ago yep. that we signed this? Yep. You know, for healthcare, it took decades. For healthcare, it took decades for people to forget that it was supposed to be 50-50. In five years, I do not know where we are at with this childcare agreement. I do not see a lot of provincial governments having the resources to step up and fund the shortfalls. But again, healthcare, whose fault is it? I don't know. Is it the LINs? Is it the provider? Is it the provincial government? Is it the federal government? We have this perfect system where nobody can figure it out. And now we're heading for that with daycare too. International students, we're heading out that way too. And it's just all this coordination that doesn't exist between different levels of government. 
And it's more about how we can check off our promises and put the responsibility for meeting them onto you, the other level of government. And that's no way to run a country. Doesn't it feel like almost we're racing to the bottom a little bit here? I I feel like we're not so much racing to the bottom as we are trying to push the others. Like, it's just this whole... But if Toronto daycares can't stay in business at the $10 a day model, right? So they'll pull out of it. Well, what about those that stay in it? Uh, You know, because what kind of care then are you getting at $10 a day? I, I, I do not want to go near the level of care because I don't, I don't have kids. So I do, but my understanding is part of the conditions of the $10 a day is certain levels of service being met. So the question is... How do you meet them at $10 a day? Yes. Right. And, and it goes well beyond just the contact, you know, the care provider to kid. Con- it's about the physical facilities, the kitchens, all sorts of crazy stuff where you might have to relocate or go through major leasehold improvements. But I really, I, I do not want to sit here and say I'm against $10 a day daycare, but I will come out and say, I call this as a bad idea. You can't have two levels of government taking credit for something that nobody wants to own. David Drew is the owner of Negotiating Change, Government Relations Stakeholder Engagement Strategies. Joins us every Monday at 11.30 for Drew's Views. We'll, we'll explore this a little bit further, more into the healthcare finger-pointing. And what? Protesters are actually lawbreakers? We'll continue the conversation on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV. David Drew joins us for Drew's Views every Monday morning at 11.30. And we were having a conversation about putting so many cooks in the kitchen, essentially. You don't know which one to point at when the meatloaf gets overcooked. And I'm wondering about this. I mean, we talked at some length about the $10 a day daycare, David. But are we? do we have any hope of, of solving these really big issues unless we start getting jurisdictions out of the way and or having one jurisdiction take ownership? <laughs> yes and no. I mean, yes, we are in trouble unless that happens. And no, that's never going to happen. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, you can look at our productivity levels. Um, We are in a real productivity per capita crisis, and we have federal and provincial rules that are kind of cross-productive in trying to accomplish this. It's it's not quite good. And, you know, I, I just, I don't even know why I'm thinking about this now, but when you think about the provinces and Ottawa, you always think about, well, what does somebody in Red Deer, Alberta, think that Ottawa knows about them? And I was just sort of thinking, well, somebody in Kenora, Ontario, or Red River, Ontario, do they have more in common with a Torontonian or somebody in Thompson, Manitoba? I would say the latter. Yeah. And this is part of the problem we have, too, is all the votes are in Toronto and all the land is outside of Toronto. And so we keep getting these Toronto solutions and Ottawa solutions imposed for the rest of us. Yeah. Really interesting way to look at it. Okay, let's move on to lawbreakers disguised as protesters. Are you suggesting there are bad actors within legitimate protests? I say that protest is cool. (laughs) I say that breaking the law is not cool, even if you do it while you are protesting. So just because you decide you're going to be a protester doesn't give you the right to assault, to trespass, to... And we've been kind of grouchy at... I know I've been kind of grouchy at the police over the enforcement of all the anti-Semitic acts that have been going on since October 7th. 
And we're just starting to see the enforcement kick in now. We have highway overpasses cleared on the 401. The infamous mall protest that I think was the first of the ugly protests in Toronto at the Eaton Centre that really made headlines, there have now been arrests, finally, for that. Um, it takes a while, but when the, when the law decided that they were going to enforce this, they were able to keep the bridges clear. I don't know why it took them so long. I think I do understand why they didn't pro, uh, arrest the mall protesters right away. They were trying to de-escalate the situation. And yeah, they were able to track them down, executed a search warrant, found evidence that tied them to the crime. Um, there's, I think, six or seven charges between the two. They have the same last name, but it doesn't quite say that they're brothers or related. Um and one of the other things that's come up with the protests is it's been kind of crowdsourced where every time there's a picture of one of these protests in Toronto, somebody will retweet it with a circle around one person like he is at every protest doing his best to get close to the cameras to be heard. And then you have Warren Kinsella on the weekend who actually was able to tie government, in some cases federal government money, Two charities who were funding these protesters. And in some cases, it looks like they were pay- not just paying, supporting organizations that endorse protests, but these organizations were actually being funded indirectly through the federal government to organize the protests. Um, there's a whole lot going on right now, and we're playing catch up, but I'm infinitely happier in a country that is playing catch-up like we are right now than I would be in a country that, like we were six weeks ago, where it was just sort of like, well, nothing to see here. We're just going to let all of this go on and not nothing's going to happen. At least now it seems like we're trying to have a society. Yeah, and, and I, I subscribe to that, but I'm going to go back to what you said at the beginning, which is protest is cool. And I don't disagree. And, and the fact that we are protesting and can protest is absolutely cool. But I wonder if it's not also a little bit too cool slash trendy right now. Hence, the person that can be circled that's at every one of these things and deliberately raking some muck, perhaps. I'm wondering if he's getting paid. Sure. I'm what, like, I am wondering if he is out there helping organize and, you know, as a paid spokesperson, it's his job to rush to the mics. Um, these protests have been exceptionally well organized in a lot of cases, a lot more than you'll see from your average protesters, we'll say. Um, the other side of it, though, is, I'm sorry, you, you asked me. If it's just too, it's, it's, trend, it's the trendy thing to do right now is protest. Okay, so the, like, let's just look at the Trump effect. You have protesters who genuinely believe that they are on the side of right, so they would poop on the Speaker of the House's desk when they stormed the White House. I don't know that it's trendy or not, but the sense of the institutions, including laws, don't matter if I feel my cause is right. That is, I don't even want to say trendy. I feel it's ingrained. You know, trendy is one of those things that's going to pass soon. I do not feel the pendulum swinging back on this anytime soon. I think we have a generation who have, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble now. We have a generation who, in a lot of cases, have been raised on 
moral code inside as opposed to moral code outside. And that's kind of cool because that's where people stand up and say apartheid is wrong. Residential schools were wrong. But it's that next level of they were wrong and therefore I can burn a church. Therefore I can storm the White House. Therefore this. Therefore that. And it's, it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong in what you believe. It's in what you do next. And that is not trending badly. That is spiraling badly. David Drew is the founder of Negotiating Change, Government Relations, Stakeholder Engagement Strategies. He joins us every Monday at 11.30 for Drew's Views, and he always leaves us with something else to listen to. We'll get his podcast recommendation as we go under the influence next on The Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. And with David Drew, Drew's views every Monday morning, 1130 here on the program. David always likes us, likes to leave us with something else to listen to. Under the Influence is your podcast recommendation today. We've heard this one before. Oh, yes. Um, But let me throw out a phrase that will probably bring you and the listeners back in time a little bit. It's Patrick. He took out life insurance. (laughs) Yes. The little cartoony, yes, I know the car- uh, commercials well. And let me throw another one out at you. Help. I've fallen. And I can't, and I can't get, get up. up. <laughs> exactly. So this episode of Under the Influence is focused on ads that were so bad, they became cult classics. And you, you're going to laugh a lot just because they bring you back like, oh, my God. It's Patrick. He took out life insurance. And it's like. Patrick didn't have time to say those words in the time you picked up the phone and said, it's Patrick, he took out life insurance. How did he get that level of information out to you so quickly? (laughs) And apparently the I've fallen and can't get up woman, um, in the first run, it was based on a phone call they'd actually received. And then the woman who fell and could not get up ended up becoming becoming a celebrity spokesperson for the company and just took off. But it's just like all of these really bad ads seem like they are all from my childhood. And so it was just this like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And talking about how a bad ad can actually be really, really good ad. Well, it makes me think of AM radio, Mike. Um, Sleep okay. Country Canada. <laughs> Sleep Country Canada. The most annoying ads. No. Yes. No. Yes, the most annoying ads. But gosh darn it, you know that jingle. I certainly do. And when somebody starts thinking about, you know what, i got to go get a new bed. Sleep country Canada. You know, it just goes right in your head. It's a horrible commercial, but it's horribly effective. And a lot of the best commercials for effectiveness on first blush are really bad. Do you remember Stand Up for Canada? The Stephen Harper when he won the majority. And he's driving by the hockey sign. It says Stand Up for Canada. Yep. Beep, beep. Tell you what, I'm going to go back to Big Bill's Bargain Warehouse pretty soon. That was a good local jingle, too. <laughs> KW Countertops. Ooh. Right? We yeah. Could, yeah. Oh, boy. For you a, got me going. For there. a damn good deal. For a damn good deal at Dan's Discount Windows and Doors. All right. David Drew, the owner of Negotiating Change. Government Relations Stakeholder Engagement Strategies. Always good to see you. Thank you for being here. I hope you have a great week. I intend to do that very thing. Phone lines open for the 12 o'clock talkback right after this update from the City News Center, you're listening to the Mike Farwell Show. Take out the papers and the trash. Or you don't get no spending cash. If you don't scrub that kitchen floor, you ain't gonna rock and roll no more. Don't help that. Just finish cleaning it up.
12 o'clock already? Are you hungry? It's lunchtime. You remember when our lives were that simple? That at a certain time of day, you could just be assured of things happening? You know, like recess? It's around 10.45, as I recall, when I was a kid. Was it 10.30 until 10.45? I don't know. It's been so long since I was in elementary school. And then especially in high school, when you got those last period spares, and you could go home earlier... And stuff like that. Those were good things. But we have brought back some consistency to your life with the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Every day from noon until 1 here on the program, you get the chance to have your say. And maybe it's about something we talked about today, including those businesses that are being impacted by the SIBA loan repayments to the federal government. That gong show of a hockey game in London on Saturday afternoon. I don't even know what to call it. It certainly didn't come across like a hockey game by any stretch of the imaginations. Whether or not we can trust artificial intelligence and how about that cap on international students announced just today by federal immigration minister Mark Miller. There's so much going on that maybe we can Put some clarity into it on the program this afternoon. The 12 o'clock talkback is underway at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Lisa, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Um, I was just listening to David Drew there, and he had he had some interesting subjects today. You know that ten dollar a day daycare now. <clears throat> help me out here. It it's the parents are paying the ten dollars a day, and then the government is supposed to be subsidizing that. I think is that right? That's generally speaking the way it's supposed to be working. Yes. Okay. So and then. Uh, the amount that the government is subsidizing, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but that being said, so many different areas in our country have different costs of living. So unless it goes up for, say, Toronto, as opposed to what the costs are in, you know, smaller areas. Um, like, I when they first started talking about that, I thought... There's not a chance, there's a snowball's chance in hell that that is affordable. I I do have kids, and um, there was years that I helped taking care of my grandson, too, before he was school age. And I one of the more the, the more positive things about owning my own business is that I was able to have my kids at home still because I work from home. Because um, there's not a lot of positives sometimes when you have your own business, but that was one, so I didn't have to pay for child care. But I do know it can be very, very expensive. So, um, I mean, $10 a day doesn't even buy uh, proper food for a child, let alone prepare it. And then everything else is going to go along with running a daycare. So I, I never thought that was realistic to start with. But I think the felt like the government was throwing at the wall to see if it would stick or not. And and it re- resonated with so many people, then they went for it. But I, I don't. I don't see it succeeding in the long run based on the current model. Um, just wanted to comment on that. And then the other thing he was talking about was the Under the Influence. That is a great show. If anyone has not heard it out there, it, it's one to look for. There's so much interesting information about 
um, ad campaigns and and advertising and and just general interesting facts that that he brings up and um, it can be quite funny but it's also very educational and and it does bring back a lot of memories so it's definitely worth listening to if you have never heard it before Lisa that's it for today take care Mike thank you nice to hear from you and thanks for weighing in on those two uh, topics that we discussed so far today yeah the under the influence is lots of fun David Drew likes to leave us from Drew's views with a podcast recommendation and it's hard to go wrong with Terry O'Reilly's stuff. On the $10 per day daycare, I, I like what David reminded us of, and that's why he's here every week on Mondays at 11.30, because you have a plan from the federal government. They give money to the provinces and say, okay, now you, we've taken care of the funding, but then the costs, you see, start to go up, and then it's, well, it's the province's problem now. We gave you the money. Oh, you mean it's getting more expensive? Well, now you have to figure that out. And anyway, here we are, and we've got some bumps in the road for sure. Randy, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Over to you. Hi there, Mike. Hello there, Randy. Most annoying commercial has to be ZipRecruiter. You can't have a commercial that's 15, 20 seconds long and say your name like 30 times. Wow, but you just remembered the name, didn't you? Yeah, but as soon as I hear it, I turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing, too, is I'm not a long-time listener, and I haven't been able to figure it out yet. Mind you, I haven't put a lot of time into it. What is the team that shall not be named? Oh, my goodness gracious, Randy. The team that shall not be named is the team, they play hockey, and... I, I, I assume not. Okay, you got that far? Good, man. See, you're piecing yeah. it together. Okay. Uh, they play hockey in... And and the the emblem on their sweater resembles a toilet seat. Does that help? Uh, no, but I can, I'll, I'll take a little bit farther and figure it out. Okay, hang on. I'll help you even more. As long as it's not a bulldog. It's not a bulldog. No, it's not the OH. It's not in the OHL. It's in the oh. NHL, the team that shall not be named. Oh. And it's I the, thought it was uh, an OHL team that cannot be named. No, I even let people... I mean, I don't, I don't love the London Knights, but that's okay. We're all one big happy rivalry family in the OHL. No, it's, a, it's the arch rival of the Toronto Maple Leafs that never, ever, 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 never, ever get named on this show. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. We don't play by a lot of rules here. We we play nice in the sandbox. We disagree sometimes, which makes for, I think, better conversation and helps to further some ideas. But the one rule, the hard and fast rule that we have is thou shalt not name the team that shall not be named. If one tries to do that, they are immediately hung up upon. It's a little thing, but it's our thing here. On the Mike Farwell Show. This is the 12 o'clock talk back hour. You're listening to City News 570. You know the numbers, right? Are we on speed dial with you? I hope, like, do, actually, I ask that, and I don't have anybody on speed dial, not even my beloved. Is speed dial still a thing? Like, do you program somebody's number in, and then you. Devin Robertson, help me out here. You're you're smarter than I am, and you're far more tech-savvy. Like, is this a thing where you just can push one button on your phone, and then it calls somebody? I, I'm sure it still exists. Do you do it? You don't do no. it? No. See, I no. think, yeah, because it used to be like you could have speed dial 1, 2, 3 through 9, right? And yeah. so you just hit the number, like speed dial 1, and, and then I would be ringing my beloved. But I never had no speed dials. Never. 
No, I've never, I've never used speed dial, All ever. Right. Should I just take... I should not say that anymore, should I? It makes me sound outdated. You might be dating yourself with that one, yeah. Okay. Can you please just phone us at, at the number that you choose? Star 570 on your cell phone or 519-570-2545 or even... Like our buddy Toll Free J, if he's not on the line, you take advantage. We pay for the call at 1-800-570-5715. Kyle, good afternoon. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. Hold on a second. My uh, my rotary phone. Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> hey, I got a question about this pistachio thing. Okay. Okay. Why would someone steal $70,000 worth of pistachios? Do you know how much work it is just to get to the seed that you want to eat? Exactly. Like, like out of... Out of $70,000 worth of pistachios, how many thousands of dollars are you actually eating? That's exactly it. It's like somebody stealing sunflower seeds. Way too much work for such little flavor, you know? So for me, that $70,000 isn't worth it, my friend. Take that trailer back and just, just turn yourself in. That's all I got. Maybe they thought they were getting cashews, which is the far superior nut. You know what? Have you seen the the, the stories about like the last, like, I don't know, like go five or six years about what people steal in Canada? Beer, maple syrup hockey sticks it's never any money it's always just commodities food like like is that all we think about now as canadians as, forget the money we're going to steal pistachios maple syrup beer hockey sticks like wh- what has the society come to mike well you want to play hockey and you want to have the protein to uh keep you running but that's why the p- pistachios are a good source of protein right nuts I guess so. Okay. I guess so. I don't know. I just I just start laughing. It's like, oh my gosh, like I'm just shaking my head. You never hear about million dollars being stolen. It's just always about other things, right? That's so. true. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. That's all I got to say, my friend. All right, Kyle. Have a great day. Listen, if you're stealing a million bucks, you can use it at the grocery store because you're getting robbed there. You see what I how I turned that around like that? Because you need a million dollars to go to the grocery store these days. You get it? Mark, good afternoon. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon, Mike. Um, Mike, why are you so hard-headed about that team? What have they ever done to you? The team that shall not be named? Yeah. Are you kidding me right now? No, not at all. I want to know what, what your problem is. All right. Uh, well, let me, let me uh, tell you exactly what my problem is with that team, besides the fact that their logo looks like a toilet seat. Okay. I am, as you know, a lifelong Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So am I, Mike. Okay. And then there was a time, Mark that the biggest rivalry in the National Hockey League was the Leafs versus the team that shall not be named. Correct. Right. And so when I was a kid and I was cheering for the Leafs, for whatever reason, I had friends that cheered for that other team. And that other team, like, won all the time. All the time. Mike, they had the better team. I'm I'm not denying that, Mark, but I'm explaining to you that this was really difficult on me. And you you said it right at the beginning. Why am I so hard-headed? I am as stubborn as the day is long. This hurt me. This embarrassed me. And so now, because I'm hard-headed, I'm going to exact what little revenge I can. Because unlike the Leafs in the 1980s, who had no power over that team, I now have the power, you see? And I can say, do not say the team that shall not be named. Otherwise... The conversation's over. It's listen. Okay. I'm not saying it's petty. It is a hundred percent petty, but I'm sticking to it, buddy. Okay. My my final uh, comment is: be careful now. You've got issues, Mike. <laughs> really? You, are you only learning this now? Um, no, I'm not. But you really do have issues, buddy. I'm listen. Talking about them is the first step, my friend. Okay, Mike. Okay, Mark.
Thanks for the Bye call. For now. Bye for now. <laughs> That's how I sign off the show every day. Listen, I, I'm not denying it. I know how petty it is, but it's the one thing I got. And damn it, I'm sticking to it. The team that shall not be na- named will never get named on this show. Or you can try to name them and then you know what happens. It, well, I'm a Leafs fan. And I guess that's the level of intellect you get from a Leafs fan. This is the Mike Farwell Show, the 12 o'clock talkback hour on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five star five seventy and one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen for the twelve o'clock talk back and over we go to Grant. Good afternoon, Grant. Yeah, good afternoon. I guess you guess. Why is it not a good afternoon for you? No, yeah, it would have been nice if the Rangers would have won on Friday. They they seem to be all right on Friday, but Saturday they were. I don't know where they were, but they weren't really playing their game. I know where they were on Saturday, Grant. They were in the penalty box. I think they should have called uh, time out to to gather your uh, to to get themselves back into it. I don't think they would have had quorum for the timeout, Grant. There weren't enough players around to even call a timeout. Everybody was in the penalty box. Or in the dressing room because they got ejected from the game. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it well, was a tough they, one. Then they need to stay away from the after the whistle stuff, you know. Like, and play play the way that you're playing that got them to where they are to, today. So hopefully, this is a lesson learned that hey, you know what? These guys are physical. All right, we'll be physical too, but then we'll walk away just like they do. You think it's that easy? Do you really think it's that easy? I don't think it's that easy, but you have to kind of bear and grim and say, what, what did this, what did this do to me the last time we played these guys? Motu got a penalty that he normally doesn't get, and neither uh, Carson. He, he gets penalties, but he doesn't get these stupid penalties. Yeah, you know what, Grant? I, I get it, and, and I I think you're on to something there, but I will just say again, I think it's way easier said than done. It was a chippy, right on the edge, if not sometimes over the edge game on Saturday, and in theory, I hear where you're coming from. Grin, Barrett, go on the power play and, and burn the other team on the scoreboard, but... I don't know. When it's going on, like, it was just, it was sheer mayhem on Saturday afternoon at Budweiser Gardens. Just absolute chaos. I don't know what more the players on the Kitchen Rangers could have done. Six of them got into fights in one game. We don't see six fights sometimes in a season. Holy cow. Toll free, Jay, my man. Uh, Do you remember the Group 38 special? I certainly do, sir. And you know why I'm talking about 38 Special, right? Uh, I can't say exactly. Well, we played some 38 Special uh, on, on All Request Friday a couple of weeks ago. Number 34 is 38. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should have started the show with 38 Special today. That's true. Actually, I was checking in to see if you could do that, but he said he couldn't do requests 
We can do requests on Fridays, Jay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to let you know. <clears throat> is this your official request for Friday? Uh, if if possible. But okay. I have, to, I have to actually go see Ed Friday afternoon. So You have to go see Ed? Uh, Fruzzle. Oh, my buddy Eddie. Edward, yeah, okay. Well, tell Edward I say hi, and we'll uh, we'll play your song whether you're listening or not. We're going to get it on the scale together. You're going to what, sorry? We're going to get it on the scale together, him and I. Get on the scale together? Yep. Are you competing in a weight loss challenge? Actually, we do. Uh, my Lions Club gave uh, accessibility a scale. For- That's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah. All right, Jay, thanks for the call. Thanks, sir. Great to hear from you. And there's your reminder. Fridays are all request Fridays here on the program. So you can make a request for the music that we play at the beginning of the show, after commercial breaks. You know how it goes, right? And the requests are already starting to come in. You can shoot me an email, mike at 570news.com. Or when you call in, Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass, he'll take your request down. He makes good notes, that guy. Way better notes than I make. And then we'll play your favorite songs during all request Friday on the show. We've got to get you an update from the City News Center, and we continue with the 12 o'clock talkback hour. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I get the sense that you feel a little bit like me on a Monday. There is some pent-up talking to do. And it's a busy 12 o'clock talk back hour, so we'll get right to the phones. And remember, there's still, I got still three, wow, there's still three lines open for you. We keep a lot of lines available so that we can hear as many different perspectives as possible. So give us a call and join the conversation this afternoon. Right now to Jersey Bill, it's your turn. Good afternoon, my friend. Hey, hello there. Hello there. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to have to modify what I said the other night when I called in the after show the uh, hockey game because uh i i just couldn't i just couldn't believe uh the level of violence that occurred uh in that linden and, and kitchener uh and it wasn't and, and I, I said something about just the ohl or linden or or kitchener because then i i switched on the uh the toronto vancouver game and guess what fights were breaking out there too and frustration <laughs> was breaking out there too and what, one thing struck me: you got here, you got football, football, which was put, doing its playoffs, which, of course, if anything, were more in, in, in a more intense atmosphere than the regular season games that that hockey is playing. But you don't get the same level of violence, even though they're equally violent sports. And I think the reason why is, is because something a a, 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 a foul occurs in hockey, and play continues on. They don't stop it. It's such a fast moving game that they. They have to they have to wait for some sort of uh, break in the action uh, before the actual call of the foul, and so somebody who feels aggrieved can go right from from uh, you know being tripped up to to starting a fight. Whereas in in football, there's a lot more natural breaks in the game, so you don't get that same kind of ongoing aggression between the one side and the other. Billy, that is a really excellent observation and one I have not considered before oftentimes when we talk about the violence that breaks out in a game of hockey for example we bring up the idea that it's because in hockey you are allowed to fight i mean by penalty of five minutes in the penalty box but other than that generally speaking if you want to drop your gloves and punch another guy in the face so be it 
you can do that in hockey. Whereas in football, there are ejections from the game for getting involved in fisticuffs. But but Billy's point around the speed of the game and how you are essentially provided the opportunity to exact some immediate revenge if you want to, carry out a little bit of vigilante justice, uh, the game and, and the way it's played allows for that. And, and I say that having been at, I was right in the stadium with Paul Fixter yesterday at Ford Field in Detroit, watching the Lions and the Buccaneers play a really intense playoff football game. And when there's a hold or we saw uh, an illegal chop block yesterday during the game, but as the officials on the field sorted out, the players, by virtue of that, have a minute to take a breather, don't they? And so, yeah, interesting. Maybe that helps. It's like a little timeout, right? We continue the 12 o'clock talk back with Mary. Hello, Mary. Oh, hi, Mike. Yes, that was a heck of a weekend for you. Oh, that? my goodness gracious, yeah, wasn't it, though? Gracious. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Uh, think, of the, think of the ages of those guys on the ice. They are just shouting testosterone levels. You know what? And you're right. They can't even, like, they couldn't control themselves at the best of times. No. And then you put no. them in, in a closed area yeah. with a lot of passion. You're right, Mary. Yeah. Good and, point. And, and, and also, that was an important game. Was it ever? For both. So I'm thinking if you put a little antidote in Freshie before they go on the ice. What do you think, Mike? What do you think? What do you What are you suggesting, Mary? That we put a little bit of uh, uh, a sleeping aid in there? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm dating myself with the Freshie, aren't I? Well, you know, actually, it's funny. Yes, you are, and I get it now. You mean Kool-Aid. No, I mean Freshie. Right, but that's what I mean. I thought you meant the, the restaurant Freshie now, see? Oh, so you are no, dating no, no, yourself. No. Yes, but I remember yes. Freshie, but wasn't Freshie, Mary, help me out here. Wasn't Freshie kind of like the knockoff version of Kool-Aid? I think Freshie came first. Okay. That's what I think. I remember getting Freshie, and I thought and we I'm did that. I'm only 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done 300 um, calories on the bike, and I shall do more. Thank All right. you, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome, Mary. Thank you. She, Mary's, Mary's on a mission. Mary's on a mission. I love it. I'm going to go to one more call before the break. Darren, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Hey, good day, good day. Um, yeah, I just wanted to come back to the uh, the Siebel loans and the independent business discussion from this morning. I, yes. I didn't get to hear it all, but I guess a point I wanted to make was... Um, well, first of all, I was a, a small business owner, uh, 14 employees. I took out a Steve loan. I paid it back. Um, but unfortunately, I also made the decision to sell it last year uh, at somewhat of a loss. And what's missing in the discussion a little bit is all of us independent small business owners need to have a very gut-wrenching thought process around, do I have an existence in the future? And, you know, some of these places got to realize, you know, the office staff are not going back to the office as much as you think you're going to. Never. In my, my opinion, it's never going to be the same. Just a fraction of it was. And if you own a dry cleaning business, you know what? If you have hard times now, I don't know how you can look forward to the future and say it's going to get better. So, you know, should the government give a loan to support that? Uh, you know, you can go through multiple scenarios. Um, people are going to be renewing mortgages at higher interest rates and grocery dollars are going to be, you know, more and people are going to spend money there. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be spending money on vacations maybe as much. And people that are in the travel industry got to think hard. Should I be in this business? So as much as I'm in favor of government support when there's a market failure, um, at some point in time, we can't be babysitting small businesses. It's 
a gut-wrenching decision to close up shop, but the world's changed for a lot of these. And, and that's really the point I want to make. You know, the, the government's there to, to, you know, put a bandit on things temporarily, but how long would this have to go on? You know, Darren, I, I really like where you're going with that. And if I may, I'm just curious, though, like, do you think that the two solid years and then into a third year of pandemic life, I mean, that's what precipitated all of these changes, right? That's what when the work from home phenomenon began. And I'm with you. I'm not sure it's ever going to come to an end. That's where inflation started to run rampant and we've got higher costs everywhere. So people are doing different things with their disposable income, et cetera. Yeah. No, that's very, it's very true. And, you know, you could blame who you want to blame, uh, but that's in the past now. So look forward. Um, yeah, like businesses close shop when they can't make a viable business anymore. And that happens throughout history. Um, but for now, some people are going to have to make a hard decision to move on um, and, you know, make that gut-wrenching decision. Yeah. Um, and I don't, th- I don't think the government is there to put a Band-Aid on it for two more years. I think from this point looking forward, people should have a sense of where their, where their industry is going and see whether they can still be viable. At this point forward, they know. You know, if it's a little coffee shop and people aren't walking in anymore because they're spending more money on gas, housing, you know, whatever, groceries, um, that's not going to change. Inflation is going to stabilize in the future. I don't think there's going to be deflation to bring grocery prices down, you know. So... Yeah, that's. I guess that's my only comment is, you know, half of these businesses that didn't weren't able to pay back their SIBA loans, I don't know what the number would be. Maybe half of those maybe shouldn't be in business. Darren, I appreciate the call. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And the, and the perspective, and I can only imagine how gut-wrenching that decision is if you are the business owner and you have to decide that you're closing the doors for good. And look, the fundamental change just with the work-from-home phenomenon, right? I'm sure you've heard, like I have, about downtown Toronto particularly, with the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of workers who are not going downtown on a regular basis and who used to patronize all of those restaurants and all of those shops, etc. Uh, you know, dry, dry cleaning as a, as a secondary aspect of, you know, if you're not going to the office and dressing the same, if you're working in sweatpants and pajamas at home, Another good point. What and and I'm sure I am sure because we've got innovative entrepreneurs who will come up with new businesses to start. But maybe some of our traditional businesses will begin to slowly disappear from the landscape. And I think you can tie a lot of it, really, a lot of it to the work from home phenomenon because a lot of business was was designed around the massive people you had around office buildings, particularly in downtowns, etc. All right. I got to get to this break, but George, hang in there. We'll come to you next. And there's a line open for you on the 12 o'clock talk back. This is the Mike Farwell show on city news, five seventy. It is your daily opportunity to have your voice heard. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Right back to the phones for George. George, good afternoon. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. 
Good afternoon, Mike. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Thank you, sir. Perfect. I wanted to ask you, maybe you've already addressed it, but I wasn't at my radio. When you and Paul Fixture were in Detroit watching that game, did you get a chance to meet um, the, the couple or the people who won their tickets through the um, FECU, I guess? In fact, we were in the same box that they were in. That's what I was wondering when you were saying you were, you were going to be down there with Paul Fixter. So who were they? Were they local people? Where were they from? No, they were actually from closer to Windsor in Essex County. Ah, because I did apply to win, but I guess they won it. They did. I'm sort. I'm glad you got the chance to apply, though, because it's a great organization, and I hope that you can, you know, enjoy a long-lasting relationship with ECU or WFCU. To meet one of the representatives, but it would have been so cool for me, you, and Paul Fixer at that game. That would have been a lot of fun. Could you have imagined that? Hey, well, hey, listen. I have a feeling, George, because this is a part of. the credit union's repertoire, there'll be another opportunity. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. All right, George, thanks for the call, and thanks for taking part in the contest, too. No problem. All right, nice to hear from you today. Yes, our friends at uh, WFCU, uh, which you've probably heard us talk about on the show before, right? ECU here in our community is a division of WFCU Credit Union, and they had a contest last week whereby you could... uh, go into a branch and apply for your chance to win tickets to the Lions game on the weekend. And Paul Fixter and I were fortunate enough to be with that group as well. And it was lots of fun. Good times had by all. And it is something that I'm sure that ECU, our credit union here in the region, which is the division of WFCU Credit Union, will give you again because this is uh, something that they have and they use to reward uh, their clients and it, it was it, it was just a lot of fun to be there for sure I, I mean how could it not be it was the National Football League which Paul and I decided in our conversation yesterday is uh, probably about the greatest business model certainly the greatest sports business model anywhere and what an event uh, what an afternoon and, and what a day for the city of Detroit we were told while we were there yesterday that the economic impact of just one game at Ford Field is $20 million to the local Detroit economy. And if you were around the field, you would understand why. I mean, everybody's got their blue Lions jerseys on, so there's the merch side of it. There are all of the restaurants nearby that get filled up before and after the game. There is the parking. I'll tell you a little secret about that. Well, it's not so much a secret. I'll just tell you what happened. First lot we went to, we both swore we saw the sign that said $60. We pulled into the parking lot. They asked for 100 I'm like, what? Wait, what? $100 to park your car? So we drove a little bit further away and settled for 70 which I st- it's still more than I've ever paid for parking anywhere. <laughs> but we figured, what the heck? We're, we're here. Let's pay the $70 in parking. Anyway, doesn't it make you think just a wee bit? I know it's a much smaller scale, but just a wee bit of what a new, larger hockey arena slash entertainment venue would mean in the region of Waterloo, you plunk it downtown, and how much economic spinoff benefit would there be from that hockey arena? There's a whole heck of a lot from Ford Field. That holds 65000 But if you had a hockey arena held ten or 12000 well, you know, it's all relative. Detroit, Kitchener, Kitchener, Detroit. This is the 12 o'clock Talkback Hour, the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570.
want to give a shout out to the Elmira Sugar Kings and their fans. Last Sunday, the 14th of January, the Sugar Kings had their annual charity jersey auction. And the cool part about this is the jerseys that were auctioned off last Sunday were donated by Gavin White, who owns Whiteway Construction. Gavin himself had been a recipient of the good work done by Ronald McDonald House Charities. Who He was in the hospital as a young child. His parents were able to stay in one of the Ronald McDonald homes for the entire duration of Gavin's stay in hospital. And so he donated the jerseys that could be auctioned off to support Ronald McDonald House Charities. And last night before the Sugar Kings game in Elmira, a $12,000 check was cut for Ronald McDonald House Charities, South Central Ontario. Way to go, you Sugar Kings and you Sugar King fans. Well done all around. I want to let you know about something that's coming up this weekend, which is always a lot of fun and the perfect time of year for it. It is the annual Uptown Waterloo Comfort Food Crawl in support of the Food Bank of Waterloo Region. So it runs from noon until 4. You basically go through the Uptown and a number of restaurants get involved and they provide the comfort food and you get to enjoy the comfort food. I was invited to be a judge. And as usual, I have to decline because I'm on the road with the Kitchener Rangers. Not that that's the worst place to be, but I love me some comfort food. Like you can guarantee ding dang tea. There's going to be some mac and cheese there, right? Anyway, that's coming up this weekend from noon until four in Uptown Waterloo. Please enjoy it on my behalf because I can't be there. And Larry sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Mike, we know the NHL team that shall not be named, but do you have an NFL team that shall not be named? Only the NHL, Larry. I'm trying to keep it really simple. There is only one team whose name shall not be uttered on this program forevermore. But thanks for asking. Don't make me add another one because I could. I am that stubborn and that petty. All right, Rob Snow with Now You Know is coming up in just a quick moment. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 for more of the Mike Farwell Show. Bye for now.